0: Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast plus don't forget you can now play this podcast on any amazon enabled device just ask alexa play the dynamic leaders podcast
1: getting dynamic leaders with Colin interneglia from apple podcasts
0: before this episode begins please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review doing this really does help us grow the show and you can get featured for your review on a future episode All right, on to my featured guest in today's episode. You'll get to hear the conversation that I had with Elise Lahue. Elise is the general manager for Sky Blue FC of the National Women's Soccer League. Previously, Elise spent 5 years as the GM of the Chicago Red Stars, and she also played soccer through college at St. Ambrose University where she was a team captain. Elise is the co-founder of Gonzo Soccer which is a girls soccer and leadership academy for underserved communities. And during our conversation, Elise and I talk about how to build a meaningful fan base, the trick to turning around a culture, if there is a trick leading as a quote unquote, fearless innovator as she's been called by other people. And finally, her journey to general manager of a professional soccer team. This is an amazing conversation So let's dive into it and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Elise LeHue. welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me is Elise Lahieu. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. It's such a joy to have you with us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the time.
0: Absolutely. So I'd love to, just before we get too deep into any of the details and the million questions that I'm going to have for you today, I'd love to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you?
2: Yeah, so I've uh, spent most of my career in women's pro soccer, or some variation. I started in uh, WPS, which was the last women's pro league. I was with Chicago. Outside of a, a couple years away, I, I spent most of eight years with Chicago as the GM there for five years. Another roundabout stint, I made my way out to New Jersey and became the interim general manager last uh, April. I'm actually coming up just about on a year here. Um, I think I got the full-time title some sometime towards the end of last year. Um, But have been doing this job for about a year and um, just really enjoying the opportunity here in New Jersey um, with Sky Blue. It was a time of transition for the club. So this has been one of my most interesting projects to date and one that I've uh, certainly really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. And I actually have a note that we're, we're going to dive deep into that transition and rebuilding project. Cause I think that's so interesting and so cool that you took on a responsibility like that. But first, I just want to get a little bit more background. And I mean, you're. In women's soccer right now. And it seems like from some of the research and things that I've seen on social media that you're just very involved in the sport in particular, and maybe athletics in general. I saw that you also played soccer uh, through a college and you were a captain uh, at your university. So I just would love to learn a little bit more about soccer specifically, like how that shaped you as a person and why that passion came about.
2: Yeah, being a, a kid from Iowa, it's probably not a very traditional tale to have uh, somebody like myself end up being the GM of a pro women's soccer team. You know, it's a it wasn't the forefront sport in Iowa. We're more basketball, softball, volleyball. Um, but played a lot of sports growing up. I, soccer was uh, the latest one for me. I started when I was eight, which was a little later than my other sports. Um, I think my my passion for soccer really grew. Um, when I studied abroad in Ireland, that was during college, and and I did go to college. I was going to play basketball and soccer, so I did both my freshman year. Um, but I had the opportunity to study abroad in Ireland and seeing the way uh, soccer was um, over there and Champions League and just their passion for the game, I, I that was something that I just latched on to, and I joined the ladies' club soccer team at my university. Realized that it was completely run by the students. It's a different system than we have in the U.S. It's all club based, so. All of the students were actually managing the club, finding the coaches, doing the fundraising, just managing everything top to bottom. I mean, we were out there lining the fields for our games. Um, So I uh, went up for the position of vice president of my club team and and ended up getting voted in, which was really cool. So um, I actually ended up staying in Ireland for another year um, after that semester. So I spent a good chunk of college over there. Um, But when I was the vice president of the team, I learned some of the business side of sports. And I think that was what really, on a very micro level, opened me up to this concept of actually managing a team as a job. And that was always in the back of my head. So I think it was my time spent in Europe that that really opened my eyes to um, what soccer is and what it means to the world.
0: Yeah, and what a cool experience that is. And I I'm wondering, it seems like your blue-collar attitude towards the work was something that was endearing enough for the team to vote you into that position, into a leadership role. Do you think there are other attributes that you displayed way back then where you maybe didn't even realize it at the time that was saying, wow, I'm I'm a leader and I can lead these girls, I can lead this team. Maybe not things, again, that you necessarily knew at the time, but now being able to reflect, you were like, wow, I was I was actually pretty good at the communication aspect or the relationship building aspect, something along those lines.
2: Yeah, to be fair, Colin, I probably was the only one running, so I don't know if it was <laughs> much of a contest, um, but, you know, for me, I think... Um, I just had no fear about sort of the organizational aspect of it. So that was always really intriguing to me. We had to go out and find a coach. So, you know, with the president of the club, I was working together with her to kind of get our shortlist together and, and reach out to them. And we had to train at a facility that was, I think, a half hour from our village. So we had to rent a bus and that cost money as well. So there was a lot we had to do from the the finance side of things and fundraising. So I really liked the aspect of just having your toes dipped kind of in every aspect of it from finding the coaches and managing that process to recruiting other players for the team. Obviously my role was recruiting all the other Americans on campus um, since I had a close regard with them and some of the other foreigners that were in my classes. But yeah, I think it was more just the aspect of having the opportunity to, to dip my toes in, in all those different areas and kind of oversee them. And, and that's really where I started my career was kind of from an operational level. Um, so I think bringing some of those uh, probably type A operational attributes to the scene was helpful.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So would you say then, because you got that exposure and you got that opportunity, did you ever have any aspiration to maybe think about coaching after you were done with your playing days? Or was it always you want to be on more of the business side?
2: Yeah, I actually thought coaching was what I was going to do. You know, when I was uh, finishing college, um, that's when W, sorry, the, the first league WUSA was actually folding. So, um, there wasn't a pro league around that time when I graduated college. Um, and that was when I decided actually to stay on. I got my MBA and I did that by being a graduate assistant coach, um, for my college soccer team. So I went into coaching while I was getting my MBA and started coaching youth teams. I was a high school coach, a club coach, I kind of, as I say back then, I got to coach basically all ages. I think I was coaching a, a 13-year-old team all the way up to, obviously, college players. Um, so I really got uh, a, a wide range of coaching experience and ended up staying on with that even after I, I joined the Chicago Red Stars um, very early in my my pro soccer career on the front office side, ended up founding a, a nonprofit um, organization. So continued coaching. I think I, I was... Uh, coaching eight-year-olds at one point which is the most difficult thing I think I've ever done from a coaching (laughs) standpoint um they really are are quite savages um they were very difficult um I refereed a bit so yeah I feel like I've just um and part of it was just to survive to be honest I was a, a salesperson when I started my career and I think most people know uh ticket sales folks you don't make a whole lot when you're getting started especially if you're you know, very early on and still learning the ropes, it can be a little bit tough. So I had to find other ways to make ends meet and coaching was that mechanism for me. But it was around that time, obviously, when I came into the Chicago Red Stars that I shifted a little bit from that coaching concept to realizing that I might be able to make a career out of actually working in the front office. But coaching was an important part of my life as well. and, And certainly I think gave me a vantage point on uh, you know, obviously not at the pro level, but what it's like to be a coach and and organizing people and some of that those leadership skills that you learn through coaching.
0: <laughs> it's so funny that you talked about that eight year old team or eight year old kids that you were coaching. I this past winter I coached in eight u co ed basketball team and I've often thought how that is probably one of the most challenging experiences I've ever had in my life. Like, doesn't matter if it, it was just a volunteer thing, like I wasn't getting paid, but any of the work that I've ever done in my life, I don't know if anything was ever as difficult as it was to try to teach those kids, not not just the fundamentals of basketball, but how to play together as a team.
2: Oh, yeah. It's uh, some real compelling life skills that you get <laughs> when you're either coaching eight-year-olds or, or when I was roughing them, I was an AYSO coach. I think it was like every Sunday, I'd be out there for seven hours, just coaching eight-year-olds back to back to back. And um, that was one of the more hilarious jobs I've ever had. I mean, the amount of shoes I had to tie and kids would wander off the field and I remember once I was bending over in the middle of the game to tie um a little girl's shoe and she started petting my head and said I had pretty hair which made me feel good <laughs> but it also was like oh gosh what am I doing how did, how did I end up here um so yeah some some good life skills learned uh, through through uh coaching and roughing kids
0: yeah absolutely that's that's hilarious the head petting story <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm sure I have so many more, but that one is just one that always stood out to me.
0: (laughs) So cool. And so obviously you played soccer all the way through college, and I'm sure you built over the course of your life up to that point, quite a few connections. But a lot of folks that listen to this podcast, whether they're already done playing the sport of their choice, or maybe they're in school right now and thinking about career choices in the future, they want to get involved in sports, but they're not sure how to go about it. Can you talk to us a little bit about like, what your process was to make sure that you could be involved specifically in women's sports and in soccer, which is the sport of your choice?
2: Yeah, I, I always say that drive is going to go the furthest when, when it comes to um, a passion you have or, you know, a desire, if you have a desire to work in a specific field, it's it's your drive and enthusiasm that I think is going to be the real breakthrough for you. You know, when I was in college, I didn't study sports. I, I'm not a sport management grad. I just, I studied, business. I actually started in psychology, but I ended up switching to business at some point. And then got my MBA and my focus was in entrepreneurship. It actually was not, I I never took a sports class in college at any point along the way. And along with that, never did a sports internship because I wasn't studying sports. So I don't have a traditional background that a lot of students nowadays have. And I see so many resumes come my way now. And, you know, these students have a ton of sports experience by the time they've even just graduated as an undergrad. Um, which of course is really impressive. But I always like to tell folks that it's not you know it's not the only indicator for being able to get a job in sports. It's really going to sure. be about you know I think the enthusiasm and the outreach. I'm always going to remember somebody that either calls me or sends me a direct email, you know, as opposed to somebody that's just putting their resume through the portal on Teamwork. <laughs> um, you know, those folks are going to stand out to me, um, and that's kind of the approach that I took when I was um, first saw that Women's Pro Soccer League was coming back and. The teams didn't even have names yet back then, but I was just just stalked the Chicago website. I think it was called Chicago Professional Women's Soccer, and they had this really terrible website. Um, This was back, I think, in 2007. Um, And I stalked that website for like a year. There was no contact info on it. There was nothing there yet, and I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally one day, you know, an email address popped up, and I just said, hey, I'm here, and I will come volunteer, so what do you need me to do? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was so excited when I got a phone call from, uh, it was Marsha McDermott. She was the general manager then. And she, of course, now is the technical advisor with me at Sky Blue. So she she hired me way back then. And now I've been able to return the favor, which is uh, also a, a cool life cycle for me in my sports career. But I always say, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you, you came from that sports background or had those specific internships. For me, it always came down to just a desire to want to do something and, and being willing to get your foot in the door. It might take a couple months of, unfortunately, free labor, um, which I had to do after I had an MBA. But it gave me a chance to get in and and prove my worth and, and show that I really wanted to be there and wanted to be a part of it. So I think that went a long way.
0: Yeah. And I think that what you're also highlighting, although you didn't flat out say it, but you had to have some level of confidence to be able to put yourself out there and potentially be rejected, right? Like you didn't know what was going to happen, but you're, you're being the aggressor. Like you're on the offensive side of things. You're not waiting for opportunities to come to you or just hoping, like you said, that you have this big fancy degree in a lot of these sports management classes or credits and whatever it is. And you're, you're pushing the envelope and it might result in rejection it might result in silence which in some ways weird weirdly enough is worse <laughs> and yeah. it, it's but it's like how do you develop the confidence in yourself to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and bounce back from you know inevitable setbacks that you might have along the way
2: yeah I, uh, you know i'm not sure i have the answer to that but i will say that I'm an introvert by nature. I know some people will be shocked by that, (laughs) um, by my online persona. But I am an introvert by nature. I think at that point when I basically got an interview with Marsha for this Red Stars job, I had very little interview experience. I think I had interviewed with two other pro sports teams in the Chicago area because... Honestly, I think it's because I had an MBA and I was applying for internships. So somehow I moved up to the top of the pile, even though I had no sports experience. I think they just realized I had a master's degree, sure. Um, So that probably moved me up a little bit in the internship list. But I had very, very, very little interview experience when I got to that point. And for me, I I just had this idea that that's what I wanted to do. That I wanted to work in women's sports, and I had this pipe dream in the back of my head about being a general manager. And I just at some point decided that I was just going to tell everybody that I wanted to be a general manager. And I don't know if it was my way of pulling myself out of my shell in a way. Like, it's like, if you put it out in the world, then it's real. And then you have to follow up on it. (laughs) I think that was my way of doing it as an introvert. You know, I would tell my family that I wanted to do it. My sister, um, she was nice enough to let me live on her couch for um, about six months while I was pursuing this uh, free, free job with the Red Stars. So I think it was more, I don't know how to explain to build that confidence, but just to, just to not um, give up on your dreams. I think that's, and I know that sounds super cheesy, but (laughs) you know, for me, I, I wanted to work in sports. I wanted specifically to work in women's sports. You know, I, at that time I had an interview with the Chicago Sky, which was the WNBA team. And I had an interview with the Chicago Cubs for a internship with them as well. But I knew that I wanted to be in women's soccer. That was just where I wanted to be. It's where my passion lay. And I had this dream of being a GM for a women's soccer team. So that was what I wanted to pursue most wholeheartedly and probably spent the most time on. So I think the message is more, you know, one, to let yourself get out of your shell. You know, mm-hmm. when I first even got offered a job with the Red Stars, it was in ticket sales. And I was thinking there is no effing way I'm doing ticket sales. Like, <laughs> for an introvert like me, that sounded like a death wish. You know, I was like, I'm not doing ticket sales. And Marsha told me if I had reached a certain threshold, you know, by uh, whenever I reached that threshold, she would move me out of ticket sales and I could go to operations full time. So I like busted through my list as quickly as humanly possible. And I think three months later, I marched in her office and I said, look, lady, I reached my goal. I'm done with ticket sales. (laughs) And at that point, she told me that I had to stay in it because I was doing so good. Um, So I was always uh, frustrated with the process then. But I actually um, am so grateful because sales ended up being the foundation of everything that I believe in and everything I do as a general manager. And it helped me with the rest of my career and and everything that I did. So, you know, I don't know how to say to build that confidence except to maybe be willing to do things outside of the scope of your own expectations or sort of outside of your comfort zone. And I encourage everybody to do ticket sales because, like I said, I think you learn all the basics of working in sports through those ticket sales opportunities, because ticket sales is a constant rejection. That's just the reality. You're constantly being told no, a lot of cold calling, a lot of people that don't want to talk to you, unfortunately. Um, So I think I learned a lot of skills through through a lot of those positions that I maybe wasn't so interested in doing early on. So I don't think I fully answered your question. But I think, you know, I'll just get back to the point of saying that if an introvert like me can take on these roles, then I think, uh, you know, anybody has a chance.
1: Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat With Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, Get quick results with Hit It Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com, that's sweatwithstods.com, to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today.
0: Absolutely. And I think that was all super helpful. And (laughs) again, I'm reflecting on some of my own experience. My first recruiting role was essentially like what you just described for the ticket sales. I was doing 50, at least 50 cold calls a day to try to get people to uh, sign, not sign up, that's not the right word, to try to work for a Fortune 500 insurance company to be insurance salespeople and to do it for 100% commission. And it was banging your head against the wall, dealing with rejection after rejection and people ignoring you, people saying, oh yeah, I'll come to that interview and then not showing up. And <laughs> so you'd like get excited and then you get let down and you deal with different type of rejection. But I would love to because you brought it up and I think it's so interesting, the sales aspect and you don't hear too many people. I think I've had maybe one or two other people on my podcast talk about how important sales is to the foundation of pretty much everything that they do in work. And I'm wondering a little bit more about why it's so important to you and the work that you're doing now and like how, how we as a society and how we as workers can maybe see sales as less of a like a dirty car salesperson and more of like the fun things that I see you do on social media.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's a, a couple points to sales that I found so crucial within my career. I think one is for the opportunity to refine your own pitch. At the end of the day, you know, whatever field you're in or whatever sport you're in or, or team or club for example, you know, every day I am essentially selling women's soccer. That's the the specific product and Sky Blue specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do this work for a much bigger reason. I have you know gender equity reasons and otherwise for the reason that I chose women's sports particularly. But at the end of the day, every day I'm trying to sell Sky Blue, whether that's selling merchandise or selling a ticket or selling a sponsorship. We live and die by by revenue and by support and by fan interest. So at the end of the day, that just de facto becomes one of the most important pieces. On the flip side of that, I've been a really, really firm believer in this sense of community around the club and to build a really meaningful fan base that feels like they're loved and cared for consistently. That's a sales process, essentially. Um, so it takes a lot of nurturing. Um, so I think from that perspective, when it comes to sales, you know, it's it's partly nurturing the fan base and nurturing the sense of community, which is so, so important But also, it's the fact that every day we have to sell this product because if we don't, we don't live. And we know that because in women's pro soccer, unfortunately, we're now on the third women's pro league. And luckily, this one has lasted. We're now in year eight, where the other two only lasted for three years. But I lived through a team folding out of a league and then watching a league fold during WPS. Um, So I think having lived through that, it's really, really close to my heart, the reality that if not me, then who? If I don't do this, then who's going to? And if I don't set a good example as a general manager in that process of selling every day, then how can I ask my own staff to go do that? If it's something that I'm not willing to do, how can I ask my staff to do it? And if you have a leader that hasn't had that sales experience and has experienced those levels of rejection and has experienced having to refine your pitch constantly, I think it's difficult to have real, authentic leadership in an environment if you haven't really lived through it. So for me, sales, again, I I go back to everything that I learned, the basis and the foundation of the way that I now manage and the way I approach my career and women's soccer specifically is, is through those lessons that I learned that started very early on in my career in ticket sales.
0: So cool and so interesting. I want to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit more holistically, I guess, about your role as a general manager and just learn about what are some of the other aspects that you had to master or the very least be proficient in, in order to be a general manager. You talked about the sales aspect extensively there for us, but I think you said earlier in the conversation, not only do you like dipping your toes into a couple different buckets here and there, but it seems like as a GM, you're doing a little bit more than I think maybe people... I know I did when I was younger, I just thought of a GM as like the person who acquired players or drafted players, you know, things like that. I didn't think of anything else on the business side. So can you tell us a little bit more about your role and like, what are some of the important aspects that you have to do on a daily basis?
2: Yeah, I think that does lead to a little bit of confusion because there's uh, different ways to use the term general manager sure. in sports. And you're right. Typically, a general manager, I think, is known as the person that's overseeing the technical staff, managing the coaches and team side of things, you know, handling the trades. I'm very lucky that I get to do those things. Um, I'm also, you know, responsible for the team's record to a point. But on the flip side, I, you know, I, I think more traditionally, if we're using those traditional terms, I act more like a president of the club as well. Where I'm overseeing the front office, I, I really feel responsible and you know, feel that I am responsible for everything that happens in our organization, um, whether that's ticket sales, marketing, merchandise, game days, player acquisition, the team's record. As, as a general manager here at Sky Blue, I, I feel responsible for all of those things, which on one hand is fantastic i I enjoy it i like being able to have those different jobs every day and and every day for me looks you know can look totally different in terms of what i'm doing and it keeps things really fresh for me and creative along the way on the flip side it's a lot of work um, to be managing all of those things and to do them well on the other side so this is a a really time-consuming proposition but i wouldn't trade it for for anything i've enjoyed this process I think to get to uh, uh, what you asked, which were some of the other attributes, obviously, I have a lot of stakeholders that I have to sort of answer to on a regular basis. That's my own staff. That's the ownership of the team. That's the fans. It's the technical staff. It's the players. I really feel responsible for all of those parties, and I feel responsible for answering to all of those parties. I I try to take on a fairly transparent leadership style, whether that's with fans or, or with my own players. I think leadership. It's it's a difficult word to you know describe in attributes because it can look different to different people. But sure. that's something that I've tried to refine over the years. I think when I first started as a GM, I wasn't a great leader, and I can say that wholeheartedly. I was young. I was inexperienced. You know, I hadn't worked in the sports world a long time. I was very lucky to be a GM very early in my career, but I had a lot to learn then. And it took going through a lot of experiences and processes to get to the version that I am today. And I think it also depends on the organizations that you're in and the the amount of staff you have and the opportunities you have. But being a leader for me has been a a continual process. I, I don't think I've, I'm anywhere close to the top or sort of the pinnacle of what it means to be a great leader. And that's something for me that I learn every day, whether it's from my staff or from the players or from the fans. Um, I'm always trying to be a sponge and trying to learn. I think for me, some good attributes that have been helpful are to you know accept that we all have a lot to learn and you never know where those learnings are going to come from. Whether it's from a player or from an intern or from a fan or from an owner, I try to treat everybody equally in that regard because I think we can learn from everyone. So for me, it's a constant process of making sure that I'm continually learning. I think that's as, as short of a version as I can make it is that I want to learn every single day and learn something new. And whether it's from, you know, somebody at the entry level that I just hired may have the best idea of the entire year that I've ever heard. And I want to have an organization where everybody has the opportunity to contribute and feel like they're a part of the community and feel like they have the opportunity to have their voices heard. And that, for me, helps me to grow um, as a leader. So I'm grateful for all of the contributions, whether it's from fans, owners, players, my own staff, otherwise, constantly learning, I think, is the thing that I go back to.
0: Awesome. Now, you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that when you decided to take this position with Sky Blue that you were going into a challenging situation. I think I read that there were reports that the team was struggling to get draft picks assigned. There were questions about facilities, living conditions, etc. What made you decide that you wanted to take on that challenge to take on kind of a rebuilding project?
2: Yeah, I think on one hand, I had nothing to lose. I think that's part of it is, um, that's just the reality. I think Sky Blue was in a very challenged position. So for me coming in, and I had already been a general manager in Chicago and was really proud of the work that I did out there with the Red Stars. Coming into Sky Blue, it's, it was kind of a case of like, well, if I don't make any progress, I don't think anybody's really even going to notice. I, I don't mean to put it that lightly, but that's kind of true. You know, on the other hand, Denise Reddy, who was the head coach at the time, was somebody that I was very close with, and I I wanted to give her an opportunity to excel. I think she had some pretty challenging situations in her first year as a head coach, and and I thought I could try to make a difference in the environment in which she was working. Unfortunately, I think it came too late, um, you know, for her to to find success with the club. But those were some of the catalysts for me taking this on, and I just was in a place where. I was willing and able to take on this project. And um, I, I was pretty excited. You know, I had been in Chicago for eight years total. And as I said, you know, GM for five of those years. And I got to a point where, and that was probably just the phase of my own growth as a leader and as a, as a GM, that I felt like I had kind of hit a stopping point there. And I, I chose to walk away after five years as a GM there. Um, and that was of my own regard. Um, just walked away. I had no idea what I was going to do after that. And I really was leaving my dream job, which is a, a little bit of a crazy thought even now. But so coming into Sky Blue, I, I saw an opportunity to come into a GM role again, which I didn't know I was going to do. I actually thought I wasn't going to um, be a GM again in the league. But I saw that opportunity and, you know, I, I had gotten to know the fans in New Jersey uh, quite a bit. And I obviously they were struggling with their own club and and what i saw in them was such a level of passion that i i, I just kept going back to the fact that they deserved a, a good environment and and they deserved to be heard and i felt like i could do something about that so it was a little bit of optimism coming into the role thinking that i could maybe have an impact on it and i don't think i could take the job if i didn't believe that uh yeah i was excited to come in i think there was a good opportunity there and then it's a little funny to say this but if I did nothing I don't think anybody would have noticed.
0: <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how how does your role then change when you first come in and you you have to make you have to implement a decent amount of change, right? Like there's some type of culture overhaul that needs to happen, both probably with the business operations and maybe even with the team and coaches, all these different factors that you have to put into consideration. So how does your role change from when you first take over that opportunity to where you are now, where things are starting to stabilize, you're starting to see the rewards of all that work and starting to see a lot more positives and a lot more happiness, I'm sure, around the organization and whole.
2: Yeah. You know, when I started, I I kind of and some of the a couple of the staff that had been there for a while, we almost felt like if we had been taking a brand new club, it would have been easier because what we inherited was it was a club whose fans were a little um, disillusioned and disgruntled. So it was almost like, you know, our starting line was, you know, 100 yards back. Um, and having to really play some catch up in that process, but it it really motivated us as a staff. And and you mentioned some of that that culture piece. I think that was really important was to have the right people on board that that really really care, that really wanted to see this work. And 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 that only happens if people are really willing to give a lot of their time to it. Mm-hmm. So the staff we brought on board was. I always say was willing to pick up an oar when needed and we all rode the boat the same. (laughs) Um, You know, when, when we went to, I'll use this as an example. When we announced that we were going to play a game at Red Bull arena and we ended up only having about 12 days to sell both of the games. Actually, we ended up playing there twice, but um, on both of those occasions, the um, approval of us playing there came in really, really late. So we only had about 12 days and we're a staff of, I think we're, a staff of eight are really small. Um, so, you know, the, the eight of us, and it didn't matter if you were in operations or if you were, you know, in communications or community relations, we just all picked up the phone. Um, and I did as well. It had to be all of us. If we were going to get fans in that stadium with only 12 days notice, we just divided and conquered. We went through, you know, our contact lists and passed it out to every person and I had, you know, our community relations person with zero sales experience was making hundreds of calls um, over those 12 days. And it was 12 days where they were all willing to come in on Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to sound like a harsh boss for talking through this Bear <laughs> with me, but um, they were more than willing. Um, they wanted to see it successful. Um, and it wasn't that optional. They didn't have to work all of those 12 days, but everybody picked up an oar and rode the boat and we ended up having a tremendous turnout. So I think that speaks to just the quality of the staff and how much they care. And all of that leads to what I what I believe is a, a good culture within the organization because they know that their teammates are going to do whatever it takes to help them in any department, whether it's sales or otherwise, that they know that the, you know, even if it's not a large number, that everybody around them is there to see this push forward and i think that's where you really start to develop a, a meaningful culture within the organization because you have to you have to have everybody care i think that's the basis for for success
0: charlotte's web is a leader in cbd hemp products including oils gummies and topicals these products can assist you with anything from faster fitness recovery to getting a better night's sleep they even have products for dogs Personally, I like the gummies best, and I'm telling you, the sleep gummies have helped me improve the quality of my sleep. I also love supporting Charlotte's Web because they are committed to unlocking opportunities for women to succeed through the Women's Bean Project. You can learn more about that project or any of their products by going to their website, charlottesweb.com. As a loyal podcast listener, you can receive 15% off of items. All you have to do is just enter the word dynamic at checkout to receive 15% off of Charlotte's Web CBD hemp products. How do you go about as far as getting everybody to get on that boat with you and pull in the same direction? I'd imagine the coaching staff, particularly the head coach, and then your owner Tammy Murphy may be two of the the more important people that you need to be able to develop a working relationship with if you want this to be sustainable and to last. So how do you go about with those relationships, like making sure that you're putting in the time, you're obviously all very busy people and have different responsibilities and different things that you need to be worried about on a day-to-day basis, but how do you keep everybody aligned when you're all focused on some different aspects, but at the end of the day, everybody just wants Sky Blue to succeed.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd say the again, we're really small, so we're not very bureaucratic at Sky Blue. You know, we're a small organization. They're, the important thing, that I've found is that we've had the opportunity, I use the word interdepartmental, which I don't even think is a real word, <laughs> word but everybody puts up with me saying it, so that, that everybody works really closely together. And part of it is that, again, we're a small staff in close proximity. Um, some of that may not even be by choice, but, but I always say that you, know, you may come in as a communications person or you may come in as an operations person, but at the end of the day, we're all salespeople. And we're all trying to, to push this thing forward. And that requires revenue and it requires ticket sales. So at any point you may be doing a job that's outside of what I quote your scope or, or what you essentially got hired to do. And it takes, again, a real willingness by everybody to do that. And I think we've seen that across all of our staffers that we've had at Sky Blue is, is that willingness. So again, I think part of it is just, um, you know, this willingness for our departments to work really closely together to always share information. Right now, while we're um, living through the time of coronavirus, we're having staff meetings every day. And, um, you know, we we don't break it down very often. We actually just have all staff meetings and and we don't want them to get too bulky or, or tedious. But I think it's important that we're all sharing information together. Um, because the salesperson may have a great idea about something that we're doing within our kids club, for example, or um, something that we're doing digitally, or our digital team might have a really great idea for something to do with our season ticket members. So we want to cultivate an environment where all of the staff feels that they're in a safe place to bring ideas. And it can be an idea in any department. We, we really don't believe in silos, And I think some of the best ideas have actually come from people that were peripheral to that department. Um, And we wouldn't have those ideas if we didn't foster this creative space for everybody to be able to share those thoughts.
0: So if you had to choose, and it might be difficult to do so, but I read a statement that Tammy Murphy had said that you're a fearless innovator and, excuse me, I know that you've done A lot to change the culture and change the face of the organization during your time with sky blue but maybe if you had to pick one thing that really stands out to you that you were like wow this this is going to be a little bit different but we're going to make this work do you have something that comes to mind that that is innovative but was really successful as well
2: yeah i think right now now is actually a great time to kind of talk about innovation when we you know first heard that basically you know new jersey was going under quarantine and had to stay at home obviously we had to um, cancel everybody going into the office and and right away that weekend it became like okay uh, looks like everybody's going to be home this week so we need to figure out how to have a staff meeting on monday Mm -hmm. Um, i had never used zoom before so we just (laughs) you know again i would say just picked up the oar and took off rowing and tried to figure it out along the way Um, and we decided that we were going to try to be at the forefront of content during this time digitally. That's really one of the only ways we can connect right now with fans um, is in this digital realm. So we decided as a staff that everybody was going to pick up an ore and start figuring out how they can contribute digitally to the organization. And that's what we've been doing for the last probably three weeks or so. And I'm really proud of the content that we've churned out during this time period. I mean, when we're talking everybody on staff, I've got um, you know, some staff is creating the trivia questions for these trivia hours that I've been hosting for fans. And we've done some season ticket member um, Q&A sessions with some of our players. So there's a variety of just online ways that we've tried, tried to stay connected um, during this time. And I'm really just pleased with the way that we moved so quickly in this. And again, that took all of the staff being willing to take the time to maybe go outside their department, pitch in in an area that they're not used to. But I also think it, it really keeps staff fresh. It keeps them excited, um, engaged. Um, and that's been, as, I think, important for, as important for our staff during this time as it has for engaging our fans.
0: Yeah, and I can say from personal experience, it's a fun file right now to see what you're all doing on social media. And it's <laughs> it's a welcome um not distractions, not the right word, but it's it's definitely something to take your mind off of what's going on in the world outside of us. and And I think you've done a really great job at connecting, even with somebody who I didn't know a whole ton about the organization until you and I, or until I had connected with you over, over Twitter. So it's just been cool to learn a little bit more about the history, you know, with those trivia and uh, just see the excitement for the team and for the organization. So I definitely recommend the follow if you're listening to this.
2: (laughs) I appreciate that.
0: So you had mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation, last couple things I'd like to get through in our conversation today, but you had mentioned that you started a nonprofit, Gonzo Soccer, I believe it's what it's called, correct?
2: Yep, that's correct.
0: Yeah, and it's a girls soccer and leadership academy for underserved girls, and I'd love to learn just a little bit more about why you decided to give back to the communities that you're serving and the sport that you love so much.
2: Yeah, I think it actually started in 2009, so I was in you know one of the early years of my my sports career. Um, I go back to those you know early days when I you know, wasn't making a ton of money, always had a side job. So I was, you know, coaching and roughing back then as well. But um, uh, one of my pals, Monica Gonzalez, she had a bit of a name for herself after playing with the Mexican national team. So we decided we could go run a soccer clinic in um, this uh, Latino community in Chicago called Pilsen, um, since Monica had a bit bit of a name with the with the Mexican national team. So we ran a clinic there for girls and it was just a way for us both to uh, basically make some grocery money. And uh, so we went and ran this clinic and it turned out to be uh, really popular. The kids had a really nice time. In that week after we had a lot of the moms actually calling us and asking us when we were coming back and when we were going to um, have another clinic. And we said, oh no, this was a one-time thing. Um, but the indoor facility we were at said, Hey, the moms keep asking, you know, (laughs) they don't have anywhere to take the girls. Essentially what was happening is all the girls were having to tag along with the moms and sit at their brother's practices, but they had nowhere to go themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think at that point, Monica and I realized that this was now more of a duty for us to keep coming back. Um, so we just started going back, uh, started as once a week and then we started doing twice a week and we realized that there was a lot more that we could be doing for these girls. So we started doing some life skills sessions and and kind of varying it up. So we were providing, you know, elite soccer training. Um, Then we started doing life skills. Then we started doing some tutoring because we realized they could use some help with that. Um, So those sort of became our pillars. And at some point, we just realized that we really had a nonprofit organization and that this was something that we could mimic in other places beyond just in Chicago. So um, Chicago kind of became my baby. You know, Monica ended up moving to Mexico City, so we launched some programs there. We ended up getting a grant from the State Department to set up some programs in Columbia. Um, So it expanded pretty rapidly for both of us, um, which was difficult because, you know, both Monica and I were were pretty heavy into each of our respective careers, but was always pleased with the way that the program grew and and the work that we've been able to do with it. And, um, you know, the Chicago program is is still my baby after all these years. Um, but it's been a really, uh, you know, what started as just a way to make some extra grocery money
1: um,
0: to
2: <laughs> get through the week, uh, turned out to be, you know, one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. And, uh, I'm, I can't, you know, thank you enough for doing that work and for just, uh, everything that you're doing, uh, not just with that, but with your professional career, it's obvious. I think that, you are making an impact to other women and to younger girls and the next generation. So I just think it's really cool. And I want to acknowledge you for that before we wrap up here.
2: I appreciate that very much. Thank you.
0: We teased it a couple of times. And if people want to find you or want to find sky blue on social media or on the internet, how can we do that?
2: Yeah. Sky blue is uh pretty consistent across all the, the social platforms at sky blue FC. Um, Twitter, Instagram. I think we're on Facebook now. They're they're getting active on TikTok, which I'm feeling a little old for that one. But um, <laughs> I'm gonna try to engage on there a little bit more in the coming weeks as soon as I learn what it is. Um, and then I'm I'm at A Lahue, just first initial last name across. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. If you want to see more of my cat photos, <laughs> um, but those are the two platforms I, I mostly engage with. But I love to interact with with folks on Twitter. So so feel free to reach out to me on there.
0: Beautiful. I will throw all that information in the show notes so people can reference that really easily. And before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And obviously, I just outlined how great of a job I think you're doing as a leader and why I wanted you on the show. But I always like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own life who's been really influential, either from a leadership standpoint or just in general. Do you have somebody that you want to give a quick shout out to today?
2: Yeah, I love that. What a, what a great idea. I've, I've mentioned her a couple <laughs> of times in the show, but Marsha McDermott was um, you know, my first boss, the, the, the first interview that I had going into my soccer career. And uh, it's been a very cool circle for me to now get to hire her now that I'm a general manager and uh, she's our technical advisor here at Sky Blue. So um, always, always grateful to Marcia for, um, you know, finding me early in my career and uh, giving me, uh, giving me the opportunity that I had.
0: Awesome. Shout out. And what a great way to end what's been such a great conversation. And I really can't thank you enough, Elise, for taking time to hop on here today, share your story, share your expertise and guidance. It's been a real treat for me. And I know the listening audience is really going to enjoy it as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
2: Yeah, thanks. I've got uh, one more. It's National Sibling Day. So it's it's a I'm cheating and sort of naming a second person, but I gotta I gotta say hello to my sister Noel. Without her, you know, I I don't know if I'd have the same sports career either. She let me live on her couch um, for you know like the first year of my career in Chicago, and uh, eventually I moved to a twin bed behind the couch, so I moved up (laughs) in the world. But she was really integral in uh, in helping me get get my feet under myself as I got started in my career. And it seems like a fitting on National Sibling Day, so I wanted to say hello to Noel. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. I uh, will make sure that we get that shout out in there too. And uh, thank you again, Elise. It's, It's been a real treat having you on the show.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Colin. I appreciate it. Stay safe out there.